So the World Cup, Australia played Scotland at uh, Hobart, and it started drizzling. And this wicket at Hobart was rock hard. And I said to Matt Machin, I said, he's standing at the bowl at my end, the bowler's in. I said, Matt, I'll tell you what, mum and dad, do you love them? <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me and he went, I said, if you get that end, I think you're dead. <laughs> he got run out. He got run out next ball. <laughs> he took a suicidal single. And he got run out by three inches. As he landed, as he crash landed, he said, Gunner, please get me out. Welcome to the latest episode of Court Down a Leg Side. In this week's show, we discuss the start to the county championship, and we also have a conversation about what goes into your preparation as an umpire and groundsman as you get set for a new season. We also discuss the Ashes, the IPL, and although Jerry can't join us for this episode, we did manage to catch up with him to reflect on the WPL and look forward to this weekend's start to the women's season. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello everyone and welcome to our latest podcast. I've got to say thank you first of all to all of you who listened to our first podcast because we actually received some positive feedback. So guys, that's pretty uh it's pretty incredible, right? Because I think that actually shows two things. One that we actually had people that listened, and two people actually seem to enjoy it. So here we go, back for a back for a second. It's quite scary that. But let's start with one person who wasn't on the show last month, uh, as he was traveling around New Zealand. So Smithy, welcome. How is New Zealand, my friend? Uh, it's a fantastic place. Good to go. Good to watch the cricket. Great test matches. Got to be said, there were a different type of game played, as they promised it would be. But bloody great to watch. Absolutely fantastic. And the, the people in New Zealand have been locked down tight, so they all wanted to go as well. I think it's the first time ever a test match has been sold out in New Zealand. Wellington were three days, couldn't get a ticket. Never been known. So mm -hmm. you, you go expecting to rock up, going on the ground, couldn't do it. If you if you haven't got a ticket, you weren't getting in unless you got contacts. And was there any off-the-field stories that are worth sharing? Um, I wonder thought also, because Taranga's not the greatest... Uh, venue as in location if you're actually staying within 500 yards of the ground it's okay but anybody staying in Taranga or the other side of the river you're a bit goose for indulging with people I I think so no I don't I don't think there were too many carry-ons the bowling club were busy as always but it wasn't a, a massive after match party scene I don't think Wellington were a bit different but Taranga were yeah Taranga were uh, go to the cricket watch the game have a few jars and get yourself back to your digs I told the wife I told the wife didn't I, I couldn't go too silly <laughs> oh ask is your wife in the background here? oh no she, I've sent her out to get pigs their evening meal <laughs> <laughs> because the last time I was in Taranga that's how you pronounce it by the way Smithy oh. is I had a party no. of a lifetime. I made my debut for for Auckland against Northern Districts in that area. And we didn't go to bed for three days. So what were you doing? We, we were staying what looked like two bus trips away, but there weren't any buses. It were a, it were a Ubers only. It were, we, we definitely stayed in the wrong part of yeah, the Because I don't think the hospitality part of Tauranga and the people that actually do their sightseeing trips are not listening to this podcast tonight <laughs> because at the end of it it's one of the greatest places in the world it's a fantastic place 
Right, let's talk. Let's talk county cricket. So we're certainly not going to talk Middlesex, uh, Gunner, because we've had a bit of a shocking, shocking start to the season. To be honest, all their batters have played Division Two for the last seven years, and all think they're world class. They've got in Division One, and they're batting like Stevie Wonder. That's what that. That's, that's what that. That's what that first morning uh, scorecard certainly indicated. I want to. I want to dig a little bit into the preparation for a county season. And obviously, we hear a lot about the players, and they go on there pre-season tours, etc. But Donna, from a, an umpire's perspective, how, how do umpires go go, go about pre-season? Like, what does that consist of for them? Well, it's changed since I first started, but the great thing about the modern day technology is that we have two meetings leading up to uh, the first pre-season games. And that, you know, your first pre-season games are in March now. Now, when I played the game, and first started umpire, the first time you turned up was April. But now we have meetings in February and in March, and we talk about the laws, regulations, we have fitness tests. I'm talking about we now, sorry. They um, have fitness tests and whatever, eye tests, ear tests. And it's quite, it's rigorous. I mean, a few of the older umpires would start crying with laughter as I'm saying this, but it is... The great thing about how the game has moved on, video analysis, you can see everything, every decision. So you work through, well, I try and get the, my people to work through from February onwards, start looking at videos, start watching, getting yourself in a routine, um, get yourself fit, get yourself healthily checked out. And, you know, it's, it's quite a rigorous moment, whereas before it was different. The game's changed dramatically now. We've now got live streaming. We've got something else coming in, which I'm not sure what it's called. But we've been scrutinised now, or they have been scrutinised now more than anything. So it's, yeah, they, it's, most of the guys now on the circuit are fit guys and very, very um, positive people about the way they want the season to go and the way their careers want to go. But the, now the scrutiny is frightening. It is scary. You know, we all sit in our front room now. I just watched the afternoon's cricket on uh, iPlayer or whatever, ePlayer, whatever it's called, where I've actually watched every ball bowl at Hampshire in a second team game. You know, it's, it's, but it's, but the guys, they prepare themselves well now. And I bumped into Jack Hartley the other day and I disagree. His pre season's on the golf course still. Yeah, but he's striking it well, though. Oh, if, you walk out, if you walk out, if you work it out, he's doing five or six miles every day. And what age is Jack now? 62? 61, yeah. 61, he, 62? He, he walks in a straight line. He doesn't go zigzag. No, he doesn't because he hits it dead straight. But the umpiring game has changed and people have now, the ECB have done it brilliantly with the health checks and everything like that. These guys are fully prepared for what's coming next. And, you know, when I first started, live streaming was nothing. But mm. now they, they're under scrutiny all the time. All the time. And there's more to come. In county cricket, that is. Not, I don't mean yeah, yeah, yeah. international cricket. In international cricket, you understand that you're going to be fully scrutinised. and There's a 90-foot screen waiting for you, you know, whether you think you're right or whether you're wrong. But these guys are now under pressure with social media. I read something, a couple of things the other day where somebody gave out Sir Alistair Cook out and it was like giving Brian Lara out. Now, I think Alistair Cook's career playing for England has moved on. But it was still a big thing. Did it pitch in line? Did it not pitch in line? Was the camera in line? So, look... They're doing well. I think they're doing a great job at the moment. But they they certainly prepare better than what most people think, besides Smithy saying that Jack hits it into the trees <laughs> down again. Do, do you think it helps with them seeing so many video replays that that goes round in the head more when they're giving decisions? Yeah. Yeah. It's the first time... Uh, probably in the last two years, you, you fully scrutinised as a county umpire, whereas before, you know, you sold your decisions and if if you were a good talker, you would always say, it just didn't look right. 
and the players accepted it. Now you've got analysts, you've got directors of cricket screaming and shouting, and it's a tough gig now. It's a tough gig. Yeah. It's an easier gig in international cricket because it's there to prove it. It's there that you've got Hawkeye, you've got ball tracking, you've got Snicko, you've got whatever. Probably using the wrong language now, probably gone from the game now, but it was easier in international cricket. Now you've got people sitting in their front room drinking a glass of wine going, that may have pitched outside leg when the camera's mm. not in line. So I, I feel for these guys at the moment. I still feel they do an unbelievable job when you look oh. at the percentage of the percentage of decisions they make and how good they are. Yeah. It, it, it it's really outrageous. It's outrageous how good they are. But they're not getting if you if you what I'm trying to say, Smithy, is if you put up ball tracking and everything like that, it would show even more how they they are so good at that. Yeah. But they, they don't get the opportunity to do that. Which is sad. Do you think the do you think the players appreciate how good they are? No. I don't think the analyst does appreciate how good they are. The analyst is always a great judge. Never umpired a ball in their life. Probably just straight out of university and saying that's pitched outside leg and it's probably too high. Well, good luck. Thankfully, I'm gardening now, so I haven't got to worry about it. <laughs> Gordy, during that off-season, did many, umpire, many of the first-class umpires get opportunity to go and umpire overseas? No. Unless you're on the international panel, you know, there is no op opportunities to go to overseas umpiring appointments because at the end of the day, say with Smith's being New Zealand, wherever, whatever, they've got their own umpires to, mm. to make better. So they don't need us breaking in. It was a bit different when you were a player. They always wanted overseas players to come, but they don't want overseas umpires mm. unless there's an exchange. And there used to be some exchanges to India, to New Zealand, to Australia, but through COVID and everything like that, it seems to have drifted away. You know, two of our lads, well, three of our lads, did the Ranji final three years, four years, and five years ago. COVID came, couldn't travel. Now, bearing in mind, that's a massive game, four-day game in India. Yeah, yeah. It's a massive game, but COVID stopped that. Um, now, we reciprocated with Essex second 11 versus Kent second 11 at Coggleshaw. <laughs> you know, so it wasn't a great... It wasn't a great feed. No, it's... Did Illy and Goffey do that? Who? Illy and Goffey. Yeah. And Steve O'Shaughnessy went one year. Yeah. And he was quite taken back. That You know, he was doing the final. He went there a two-week exchange. He was doing the final with 110,000 people paying for his breath, which is a fantastic experience. But those experiences are disappearing. Since COVID, things have you know, changed a little bit. It's like the IPL now, where there used to be probably 10 overseas umpires. It's probably four now. Um, probably four doing it. And that was the greatest experience you'll ever have in your whole life. It was the greatest experience I ever had, but it was almost at the end of my career. You know, so, you know, those opportunities. But these guys do a fantastic job in county cricket, but I do not think they're appreciated. No, definitely, really definitely. The, the, the standard, the standard is so good now. Oh, it's incredible! It's incredible, and we've got, we've got six new, sort of new young people have come through the door, who shine out. They're brilliant. They're so good. So you know, the umpiring fraternity in county cricket is a very much a high now. Is it a high? And I think Simon, you had one of my old, one of my colleagues at your place on Darren Hill on Sunday for the Oxford versus oh, Bucks. Oxford Bucks. Bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've yeah. got to tell you a story about this, gents. I've got to tell you this, <laughs> right? And I hope Darren doesn't get upset with this. Darren works at the Castle, Windsor Castle. He, we had a meeting last week. To, uh, sorry, last month at Mia in Cheshire, which is a fair trot from Windsor. And he was late. What was his reason for being late? Hold on. The king wanted a check round the electrical side of Windsor Castle. <laughs> he is throwing the king under the bus for being late to a meeting. 
that one, everything. <laughs> Even I've had the greatest excuses in the world. That one tops for everything. <laughs> by the way, he's a very fine young umpire. What what age, what's average age are these really good lads who are coming on the list? They're getting further and further up the list very, very quickly. Very quickly. They're going a long way. That you know, the great thing about what's happened is this 50 over competition that no one wanted is given the opportunity for these young boys to come in, young boys and ladies, girls, whatever you want to call, come in and they did it all last year. None of the senior umpires did the 50 over stuff. Youngsters did it. They were outstanding. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It was just so beautiful to watch how they just, you know, we panicked, put them in, and God, they did a great job. Did a great job. Good. Encouraging. No, no, I promise you now, the world of umpiring, I, I am certainly very encouraged by. Very encouraged by. Gunnar, on the last podcast, you mentioned about the strength of female umpires. Yes. Coming through as well. Yeah. How, how soon do you think before a female umpire gets into the men's game? Six weeks. When it comes to, is, is cricket coming at 100 mile an hour, Simon would know because he's now been getting inundated with pitches and God knows what else. The female game has gone so strong. It's incredible. I was at, as you know, sorry, apologies for not making Monday, but I was at the GS and there was a ladies game being played and I watched some of that and the, the difference in ladies cricket now is extraordinary but the difference in ladies umpiring is extraordinary how far that's gone it's incredible and I believe probably maybe when the 50 overs start or maybe just before we will see one or two ladies umpiring men's cricket and I will applaud that because they deserve to be there well, technology will prove whether they're on, on the ball or not, won't it? Yeah. You, there's no hiding from good or bad decisions, which no. ever sink. No. no, and these ladies have <clears> done it live on TV. They've done World Cups. They have shown how good they are. And I'm really, really, really chuffed for these, these three ladies, maybe four, maybe five. I might have missed someone, but there's certainly going to be an opportunity now one or two of them to be doing proper cricket in what you class as you know, the wrong words proper cricket but in high profile in front of a big crowds I see that coming very quickly Listen let's move on from not just umpiring preparation but tremors I thought also be interesting from a groundsman perspective when, yeah, when yeah. pre-season starts for a, for a groundsman and then also just looking at recent weeks when you think you you think your prep's done and then you just get days and days of downpours of rain talk us a little bit about you know days in the life of a groundsman well march has been horrendous as everybody knows it's probably been the wettest march for 40 years um you know and as gunner was just saying like the county season starts warm-ups in in march now and you know the, the lads are putting covers on squares in sort of middle of february and stuff like that and the ones of us that have been grains i know probably the worst part of the job is doing covers all the time um and trying to get covers on and off in, in the weather that we've had they've been staying put for weeks on end as well it's been uh not been a lot of fun i mean we've had our covers on at wormsley here since about the 5th of march i think we we started putting our covers on for a first game on the on the 8th of april you know, and it's just, uh, it's just constantly the whole time. All you're trying to do is just, well, you want to try and dry it out, but the way the weather's been, you're just trying to stop it getting any wetter. You know, it's literally, I think it's 27 days out of 30 we had rain down here. And there's a real nationwide thing as well this year. Quite often it's now wetter up north, drier down south. But I think it was like the, the whole country was in the same boat. It just rained everywhere. Um, I know some of the lads got these pictures out in sort of, mid-end of March, you know, I'll never know because um, we'd have struggled here, I know that. But, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the covers is like the worst part of the job, I think. And um, when, when you have to get them on so early now, I mean, these games when they're starting, middle, middle of March, it's horrendous. It's an age thing as well, Tim, they get harder as you get older, don't they, them covers? <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. It certainly. What are you implying there? 
<laughs> what do you think, Tremors? I I was speaking to Robbo, uh, who's now at Edinley, and he says that the cis pitches are definitely drying out quicker than your standard pitches. Has that been the same for you? Have you tried yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we 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 always try and start. Uh, the season on our um, stitch pitches now because they do they they dry out quicker so they firm up quicker you pretty much can guarantee that they will be your first pitches ready um, so yeah we've had uh, I think we had we had a county game at, at the weekend and yeah and it, and it was going going through pretty well considering it's been just been under covers for for six weeks but they they do dry out quicker even in the summer you know if you want if you you know had a bit of bad weather a go-to pitch would be a cis pitch because you can just sort of flash it down water it they say water it roll it roll it out and then you can get on it quite quickly again just Question. for the benefit of the viewer of uh, listeners yeah. what's a explain hybrid kind of, pitch, kind of pitch hybrid pitch is um uh came from like the the football and rugby really it's what they do they just um sort of insert fibers artificial fibers i think it's every two centimeters ideally they want to go down to about 200 mil Sometimes they go down to about a hundred mil, and it's just like um something like two percent astro pitch that you're playing on, and the grass grows in it. You do the, the normal pitch prep, um, but a lot of the county boys have them now on their squares, um, training facilities. They, they they just last longer. You don't seem to get the wear on them. Um, yeah, so a lot of the county boys have them. I think you can't still can't use them for four day games, but one day games. Um, but it, they're coming into club cricket as well, and they're quite they're quite expensive. But when sides have only got sort of small squares, you get these hybrid pitches done in the middle of the square, and you can keep using them. You know, we're finding you can use them sort of three or four times as much as a normal pitch. Um, but yeah, for, for us, especially the weather we've had recently, it's just just been just great. You know, you can get half decent pitch out at this time of the year. Now, Gunnar, I don't know if you know if the, if this if this story that I'm about to say is true. But I heard a rumour that Hampshire's first game of the season, the umpires, uh, sorry, the ground staff had prepared one of those wickets, then got told that they weren't allowed to play the county championship game on it. And thus they had to move to another pitch, which only therefore had a lot less preparation. And if you look at the scores that they had, I think everyone was bowled out for about 100 in each innings. No comment. <laughs> 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 the groundsman at uh, the Jewish Bowl, Simon, is a good friend of mine. He's a lovely bloke. He just give me a bag of seed. I'm not going to shaft him. Um, but I'd like him to tell you the story. Um, he told me the story, and I've got to believe it. Um, but, yeah, he, yeah, let's leave it at that. <laughs> All right. The other howler I've heard from the, um, from the first game of the season was down at Gloucestershire where when that rain started coming down, they had to get a hovercraft on and it broke down and thus the pitch just got drenched. Again, don't know if that's a true story, but that's what, again, what I heard from the first game of the season. So with that, I was going to ask the question of what's the biggest howler, Tremors, that you've had as a groundsman? Um, pitch wise, not, not, I've ne never had anything sort of that bad. One of the funniest things I ever did there was, <laughs> I was uh I was hand rolling a pitch and I got to the end and I just went to start off pulling the other way and my feet went from underneath me so I fell flat on my back pulling a roller towards me with a crowd of about 500 people and I had to stop the roller going over I put my feet up and stopping the roller as I was pulling it so yeah that wasn't wasn't the highlight of my career I must admit <laughs> go on then Smithy you got a howler uh, another roller one there so Headingley used to, well, they still have antiquated equipment and we got the big roller, but it wasn't the best at running well. So you'd always got to have the pull start wrapped up on string, ready to go again in case it stalled when you were rolling the wicket. I'm out rolling the wicket, just gently up and down, going backwards, all of a sudden, doo -doo, the roller, the pull card on a big rubber handle has vibrated off the back of the roller. Oh. I've gone over it, imprint in the wicket. Keith <laughs> boy, boss has come back out, running out. What's happened? What's happened? Trying to tap it out with a lump hour, followed by Bluey. 
Bearstow absolutely raging. What the is going on? Lumpammer on the wicket during change of innings. Yeah, that that was probably as an eighteen year old a little bit. I think I fucked up here. I, I remember the story where as a groundsman sneezed in and his dentures came out and he rolled his dentures into the pitch. <laughs> What's the worst one you've witnessed, Gunnar? The groundsman rolling. There was fielding practice going on in between uh, just at the start of play. And a guy, it was at Worcester. Everything's at Worcester. Um, the guy just knocked the ball down and the groundsman had, as they do, what they call ear detectors or ear defectors or whatever they are. And the ball rolled straight on the middle of the wicket and he rolled the ball straight on a length. <laughs> Literally, the whole ball went down. That's as good as it gets on that one. Personally, <laughs> well, the great thing about it, Smithy, is no one could bowl straight enough to hit it. So it was wonderful. <laughs> wonderful Division 2 game. Yeah. The worst I did, Geggy, and you would know this one, is Windsor Boys School have a massive day against the MCC. It used to be massive. Yeah. And I remember, as you probably do remember, I used to um, lay on a couple of shandies for the lads and everything during the day. Mm. Mid-afternoon, it started raining and we put the covers on the wrong pitch because <laughs> we were so drunk. <laughs> so... So, Simon, whenever you see Lewis and George, I remember that one. Thing, I remember we that literally, one. and we covered it up perfectly. I mean, perfectly. We lined it all up, everything like that. And then Lewis looked left. Uh, by the way, boss, on that pitch. the pitch is over there. <laughs> so, I got, uh, talking about the going back uh, Smithy's roller store, I remember watching in um, Barbados, they'd had a brand new roller turned up, and uh, also roller. And they obviously couldn't get it started. So between innings, they had 20 people pushing this big roller up and down the yeah. pitch. <laughs> that's when they, that's when, when was the World Cup there? 2009, I think it was. Right. 20, and they were given all brand new equipment. Every island was given this brand new equipment, but no one could work it. <laughs> and I remember teaching this guy in St. Vincent, uh, St. Lucia how to turn it on. Oh, it was just madness. It was just crazy stuff. Brilliant times. Great fun. Right, let's talk. Let's move on. Let's talk Ashes very quickly. Uh, Australia announced their squad today. I don't know if any of you guys saw it. It will not be good enough. We will beat them. I can't see him beating us if we get top three that can perform. I think there just needs to be a bit of a change. The yeah. biggest issue with Australia at the moment, mate, they're, don't ever fool yourself that they've gone. Their biggest problem is is keeping their bowlers fit. Now, Josh Hazelwood is one of the world's greatest people I've ever met in my life, but he's a very fine bowler. Stayed fit for seven years. The last two years, Poor lad is broken down consistently. Mitchell Stark breaks down for fun. Breaks down like my mower that's sitting outside on the lawn at the moment. <laughs> Pat Cummins, magnificent bowler, has always had injury issues. Their backup is average. I don't see Scott Boland frightening me, Abbott frightening me, and who's the next one, I don't know. Their batters are fragile. Warner, five years ago, would frighten you. Now, you're telling me they picked Renshaw, Harris, and who else? Quadra. Quadra's a good player, but not in the game. Mitch Marsh is back. He won't play Test Crease, surely. First two Test Eggy is a certain bloke who frightened the life out of one of the world's greatest players. He's coming down the South Coast shortly. Steve Smith, if Jofra plays the first two tests and bowls the bullets that I've seen him bowl at Hove, Steve Smith won't fancy that too much. And he is their best player by a long way. By a long, be long way. There'll be memories of Lords in there, won't there? There'll be everything, Smithy. I promise you now, 
I watched Joffre Bowl a month ago at Hove. Wow, my God, thank God I was umpiring and just watching it. It was scary. Now, Joff, he's fit. He's fit, all right? He's not, they're telling you he's not fit. He's fit. If you look at our bowling attack, eight, we've got eight people that can bowl good pace. Australia, they haven't got the batters, I don't think, that can take, have the stomach now. You're talking David Warner, how old? 35? Yeah, Steve Smith, thirty-three. Labuschagne, he's had a charmed life playing Division Two cricket for Glamorgan. Who else is there that's going to frighten? Kawaj has had a great series, and he's a good player. He's a nice fellow. Yeah. But this this England bowling attack—if you add Broad, Anderson, Archer, Wood, whoever you want to put in that—I can't see them beating us. I'll be gobsmacked. Who are you opening with, Gunner, for us? Uh, who opens now? Is that Crawley? Crawley and Duckett. Uh, certainly not Crawley. I think he's had a discussion last time, didn't we, about Bearstow? Cliffy, you'll know a bit more about Bearstow, but I'm hearing he can only do things in straight lines at the moment. Is that yeah, right? He can I, only walk in straight lines, run in straight lines. Yeah, I think he's nearly as overweight as I am. Yeah, he's, he's not as big as big... you, Smithy. <laughs> um, opening the batting, I, I'd like to have a think about that, but they're going to play Zach Crawley, I'm sure. Can, can you tell me why they wouldn't ask Stokes to open batting? Good God, they get 700 in a day. Well, no, no but he, he blocks it or he hits it. His defence is absolutely spot on when mm. he's on the mind. Is there anyone it. else in county cricket that could <clears throat> open the batting besides Zach Crawley? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about the game, but um, Hamid, he's been there. Who else has been there? And the only one, the one who's knocking, he's churning out runs consistently, but I'm not sure if it work in the style of England is Ben Compton. But then you go the other way. The guy that's moved from Warwick, from Surrey to Warwickshire back to Surrey, who's in real good nick, is Sibley. Would you go down that route again? So you got left, you know, I mean, I always thought Sibley was a good player and I think he just his mind went wrong. Um, he's a strong character. I just think with Zach at the moment, everything is not quite right there. In county cricket, he's, it's not working. There'll be so much pressure on him, isn't there? If he has a bad yeah. first test match and stuff like that, they've got, they've got to be thinking about somebody else. Because if he has a, a, a bad first test match straight away, people are going to be on his back like that. And they won't be going to bring in. And it is, you think you've got 18 first-class counties out there and we're scratching around trying to find another opener. It's pretty but, poor, really. If you look at Ben Compton, he's playing Division One cricket. His track record in the last two years has been pretty decent. And he started off strongly again this year. Yeah, he has. Yeah, I'd stick in this but kid think, Dussex, Ali Or. He might frighten a few, but he's a bit too young for it at the moment. But he'd certainly be there in the end. But, but do, I can't do you think answer the question. Well heard of? It'd be good because I, I just think with Zach Crawley now, he bowl at fifth stump and he's going to have a, a flash at one. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm sure Brendan McCullum will have an idea of someone that's going to tee off right at the top. And it'll be, yeah, whatever he touches Brendan at the moment, it'll work. You know, what did Alex Lees do wrong? You know, he, he didn't set the world alight, but he's, but are you going to open with two left-handers? He started okay this year. Yeah, I mean, I, look, there's people around. But what I will say, they need to be from Division 1. Is there such a difference when you when you're watching them? Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. I'm going to watch Yorkshire tomorrow and and Sussex. I watched Hampshire and Surrey last week. Watched Hampshire and Notts. Totally different games tomorrow. I'm intrigued to see bowling attacks tomorrow. What are your thoughts on all these Aussies that are coming over to play county cricket? <laughs> It'd be nice if they didn't have to, but I sort of see that the counties are looking after themselves a little bit trying to get off to good starts to the season. It's not ideal, but it, it's the way that it is and it's, it's going to be. So I think we've just got to go, yeah, not ideal, but, you know, let's have a crack at them, get a few boulders uh, rattling them around the, around the ribs and stuff. And uh, they might think, oh, blimey, it wasn't such a good idea coming over at this time of the year. But Trevor, you go on that, you say that, right? And going back to what I've just said about the golf between Division 1 and Division 2. You got, is it Peter Hampson? Is he the bloke that's keeping wicket at Leicester at the moment? That's the Division Two cricket. Steve Smith's playing coming to Sussex. Division Two cricket. Labashane. Labashane, Glamorgan. Division Two cricket. Who's playing Division One cricket? 
besides Abbott for Surrey, and he's not in the squad, but he won't be in the squad, unlikely. Who else is there? <clears throat> to be fair, look, Steve Smith for us at Sussex, we have gone through such a torrid time in the last five years. We needed some positivity. Pajara, Steve Smith, game sold out. Steve Smith would have a net against a bowling machine. And no disrespect to the attack of Leicestershire and who do we play? Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. Now, anyone in those teams, you tell me now, are going to be representing England this year. They're not playing Archer. They're not playing Wood. They're not playing Overton. Mm. They're not playing against what I describe as international bowlers. And I, I just hope I don't get sued by people from Worcester, Leicester and whatever. But it's just fact. The golf is getting bigger and bigger. So I don't see what the, the nonsense is. And we did get some serious grief at Sussex about signing Steve Smith. But the game that he's playing at home is sold out. Right, let's move on IPL. So IPL's underway. Um, Smithy, you've been out working, but also spectating. What What's that whole experience like out there? Never, never watched IPL out there, but the actual one-day cup scenario when the World Cup were on was just, it's intense. It is an absolute buzz all around the cities. And you're not cities of a million people, you're cities of 50 million people. And everybody is talking about the game. The horns, the noise. I mean, Harry Brook got his 100 and he actually had a pop at him, didn't he? About, <laughs> you know, they've hated me for the last five days. I get 100 <laughs> below me. Up yours a little bit. Then he's blobbed again yesterday. But I think IPL is so fragile from being a superstar doing four for 20 and then getting one for... 71, they love you and hate you overnight. It is not our type of cricket guys, but it is definitely a massive success. Massive success. And Gunnar, you mentioned earlier, you're obviously at the back end of your career managed to get to experience it from umpiring. How different is that from umpiring test cricket out there? Different. Totally different. It's madness. It's great fun, well-organised, you know, what Smithy says, that someone's making money, TV rights, it's sent around the world, Canada, God knows where else, Botswana. Everyone's in the IPL because they sell it so well. They sell it so well. And, you know, it's, it's here to stay. It was the greatest adventure I ever had in my life, and I was so proud to do one of them. I wish I'd have done, been able to do plenty more. So does my bank manager. But, at the end of it, it's just a fantastic experience. Everyone that speaks to me about the IPL, go. Now, you know one of the lads that drinks in the Albert in Windsor. He spends his whole holiday watching the IPL. Yeah. He either goes or sits in his front room and watches it. And he's obsessed by it. He drives me insane by the questions. But it is that tournament. It is a brilliant tournament. And very, very well run. And you know, I wish I was a few years younger and be able to go back. But no, it's a great, and it's also a fantastic country to visit. Remember that, Smithy? <laughs> understand that? <laughs> Taronga, I've, I've got some stories about what it, what it Vizag, where we had some dodgy occurrences, Freddie. Yeah, Fr Freddie just loves the food in India. That's what he likes going out there for. <laughs> nice and spicy. Che cheese with everything. <laughs> cheese paneer. <laughs> You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with their baked beans and, uh, and macaroni. You, macaroni I see, bro, I see, Michael, you didn't have any street food, did you? <laughs> no chance. No chance. These two would have done me. No they chance. They won't even do a KFC. <laughs> and by the way, it's not KFC. I can assure you, it's not KFC. But listen, a question I wanted to ask on on IPL and the franchises that you're starting to now see, particularly like South Africa. And also this tournament in the US, the IPL franchises are buying up franchises in these other 
countries? I mean, is that something you're just going to see growing and growing? And is that a threat to the world game? TV, 12 months of the year for them, isn't it? And that's why they're doing it. But do you see a stage where players will be signing contracts for the franchises rather than and then having to seek permission from the franchise to play for your country? Dollar. You only you only play top-level sport for so long, don't you? And they want to make as much money as they can. So I would think there'll be a percentage will always do that. Mainly, your Caribbean lads have done it, your Sri Lankan guys have done it, your Afghan guys have done it. All, all the nations that don't pay the larger central contracts aren't going to play for the test team, I don't think. Why, why would you? you know, if you're earning the big bucks playing franchise cricket, that's what they're going to do. I look, Smithy, I, I look, I can't agree with you anymore on this. Um, you know, I talk to people in the West Indies and whatever about this stuff. But this, where we sit in this country at the moment, these guys in our country are well paid. Now, it, it worries me a little bit about, like, this. I'm going to use two figures, and both of them played for Somerset. Banton who came on the scene, smacked it all over the place. The world was his oyster. Where is he now? There's a lad younger who I watched play four-day cricket. Oh, what a good player he looked. A boy called, I think I'm going to get his name hopefully right, Smead from Somerset as well. He was, you know, one of these big, strong young boys who at the same time as Banton kept smacking it out of Taunton. And Taunton's not that particularly difficult to smack it out of. It's like a sand iron out of the ground. But where are they now? Where are they now? And who picks them up when it doesn't succeed? Because clubs like Somerset are not going to be able to afford bringing back Banton and Smead and people like this. Will Jack's going down that line? I No, I think Will Jack's is... Um, just been a bit unfortunate. He's been unfortunate. He's just sort of like got sucked into it, but I think he's a bright enough lad to come out of it. And I think he's got at Surrey some very astute people around him with Gareth Batty, who I think is an outstanding coach. And I'm so pleased he's doing so well because he's a good fella. And Alex Stewart will go, what are you doing? You need to come back in here. They won't. They won't wish him up, you know, tie his rope away. I'm worried about people like Banton, Smead, or I don't know Smead that well, but I've watched him and he looked a good career, but he's disappeared. He's just signed a, just a white ball contract with, uh, yeah. with Somerset. And yeah. I think Banton said he's going to try and make it in the, in the four-day stuff this year. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it's, as a Somerset supporter, yeah, you, you want to see people like Smead going on, but a lot of people... Oh, you do know it's Smead, isn't it? It is, sorry. It is sorry. Will Smead, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's just going to... Um, he got the first 100, in, uh, first 100 in the 100, didn't he, last year, I think? Yeah. Smead. Um, yeah, it's just going to be quite interesting to see. I can see more people going down and go, I only want to play white ball cricket and stuff like that, which is... But when you fail, Tremors, what I'm saying is it, when you fail, mm. how do you come back? Yeah, yeah, and also nobody's nobody's particularly remembered for their one day twenty over career, are they? You know, people are remembered for their test careers and you know f- proper first class cricket. You know, yeah, great, he's, he hit a few runs very quickly, but you know, a few years down the line, they'll just just be forgotten. I'm afraid. But what I'm saying, Simon, is that I, I believe Will Smead can't be any older than twenty or twenty one. It must be early 20s, I should think, yeah. yeah. He can't be any older than that because I think he was 19 when he said he was going to play white ball cricket. Mm. Well, who's giving him that guidance? But that's what I'm saying. Mm. I fear for these guys that just go, right, I'm going to play white ball, and then suddenly it doesn't go quite right. Will Jacks, I think, is a bit better than that. Mm. I think he's quite a good, you know, I think he's quite a rounded. He's a bit older, and I think... What he's saying, what I read an article the other day, was that all he did was get shifted around by England all around the world. He didn't really play much cricket, and he's now injured through that, which I can understand. But I just worry about these young boys, Ben, and who I know his father really well. I played cricket with him at Slough, and it just suddenly he doesn't look the player he was, mm. and he's no longer in the 
what I'd describe as the T20 setup. Also, Freddie, where do you get a career, long-term career, in T20 cricket as a slow bowler? I mean, you've, you've probably got Asaranga and Rashid, who people will pick. But other than that, there's, there ain't a English bowler who plays any franchise cricket. And we haven't got a good county bowler bowling slow. So, I mean, not going to knock Jack Leach Somerset. He ain't going to get into any other international team, is he? We blink at the moment. We haven't, we haven't got a world-class slow bowler. We've got two. We've got two at some at Sussex. Uh, a boy called Jack Carson, homegrown from Belfast, and then we've got <laughs> a lad called uh, Foreman, Bertie Foreman, who is homegrown. His grandfather played for the club. Who look good, but you bowl on a length now, and you go to row Z. <laughs> Doesn't matter whether it's turning, whatever it's going. You go to Rosetta, I wouldn't want to bowl spin. We're never ever going to, with the modern day way that we play our cricket, I wouldn't want to be a spinner. That, that's going to be a downside when you're playing half your international cricket on the subcontinent. That's it. Smithy, I go down that route, it's 65% of my umpiring career was in the subcontinent. So I see this ball spinning like a top. And Jesus. I never see it spinning in England. Not none of the decks turn now. No, of course they don't. The surface doesn't allow it to turn. Well, Jerry, by the power of magic, we've managed to get you on this week's show after all, which is great. So welcome. Thank you. Yeah, glad I could uh, squeeze in at some point. That was good. Now listen, I was really keen to make sure we got you on because I wanted to talk the WPL um, and also yeah. the Women's 100 draft, which which happened and, and get your reflections, and particularly on that WPL because, um, you know, watching games on TV, it just seemed seemed amazing out there. So it'd be great just to get some of your early reflections, really, on the, on the tournament. Yeah, I thought that the whole thing, the whole thing went off really, really well, right from the beginning when they did the draft. I thought the draft was excellent. I think um, the 100 could probably learn a bit, certainly the women, uh, in terms of how they, <laughs> they managed the, the draft. But uh, yeah, the, the draft was great. Um, and, and the one thing I think that stood out there was was the, the, the wickets and the state of the pitches. Um, superb wickets. Um, you know, obviously good high scoring runs as a result. I think we got five scores over 200, something like oh, that. Yeah, yeah. And at least sort of seventy percent of the actual uh, scores were, were well in excess of one hundred and fifty. So, so I think that you know, there's too many games in the women's game. There's too many matches in the women's world whereby, unfortunately, the wickets just aren't good enough. And I think that illustrates that if you prepare decent wickets, you're going to get decent games. You're going to get high scoring games. So, so that was the first thing I got out of it um, was how good the actual facilities were. You know, playing in Mumbai as well. Two two yep. good grounds in Mumbai. Attracted about twelve thousand on average to each game. Um, maybe next year it'll be good to to possibly get around, you know, some more of the states in in India. Uh, expand the game that way. I think also um, there was only five franchises, so possibly another franchise would be good. Yeah, because I think yeah, as the tournament evolved. I think it became a little bit samey in terms of the teams playing each other. Um, but yeah, great for the Indian players as well. Some of the young girls that were coming through uh, were great to watch and the skill sets that they've got. And they can only learn off some of the international stars that went over. Um, so all in all, I think, yeah, the future's great for that competition. I think it's great for international cricket and Indian cricket in particular. And I also think there's probably a lot that can be learned uh, across the, uh, the ICC in terms of how you, how you promote and run women's competitions. So really good. Yeah, interesting enough as well, I managed to catch up um, with Lottie, Charlotte Edwards, very briefly uh, on, on the weekend and, and just to get her thoughts on it. Obviously, She, she was coaching, was wasn't she? She was coaching out there. Yeah, she she was head coach of the Mumbai Indians. Yeah. So they eventually won it. So um, it, it was good to just get a, a quick couple of minutes with her just to understand what her feelings were. And and she thought it was really tough, actually. She, she highly enjoyed it. She thought it was really challenging, as you might expect. But it's the pressures you probably don't get 
over here in the hundred and and some of the other competitions like the like the big bash as well i, th I think it was because of the amount of money involved now i was gonna say just of, because of the money involved and yeah you've got a lot of stakeholders that. now with, yeah. within, within it you've got the sponsors you know you've got all of the uh the, the coaching side of things as well and and so the financials as well add a lot of pressure to it for being successful so you're saying sort of we lose one game well you're going to lose a game aren't you you know you're going to play eight nine games across the competition yeah. you're going to lose one or two games but it's the pressure then of as soon as you lose that first game we need to change the team you need to change the team we haven't got the right team sort of that sort of pressure which is quite <laughs> interesting and it's just a question of going well no hang on a minute you know you've employed me because i'm hopefully one of the best in the world at these things i know the women's game inside out and therefore leave it with me and we'll be okay and of course they were yeah so that that was quite interesting and also you know the fact that india we all know that indian crowds are absolutely fanatical and and you, you maybe didn't maybe wouldn't think that that would sort of go down to the women's game but it did she said you know they they had pressure kind of going out of their hotel they found it very difficult to even get out because of the people outside just wanting them wanting a bit of peace of them so uh yeah really interesting and i think uh i think it's going to be very successful as it evolves as i say perhaps another team perhaps move it around the country a little bit more um but as, as a one-off i think it was excellent yeah and, and also you know so some of the international stars they played it pretty safe in terms of who they brought in some yeah. of the more there are so mature players um so yeah that will probably open up a little bit more as well we get some more young exciting international players as well as the indian players um so looking forward to what happens next year well one player who's certainly enhanced her reputation um as a young player is izzy wong Hmm. You know, yeah, she's, 15 she's wickets. fantastic. 15 wickets in the competition. Um, it's quite interesting to see actually how she's developed. Now, I'm not sure whether it's because John Lewis is now looking after the England women, but uh, certainly from what we saw last year to what we've seen at the beginning of this year, um, I think there's been some vast improvements in terms of her control and accuracy and what she's actually doing with the ball. She's, she's really starting now to move the balls both ways, a little bit off the seam and swinging. So, so that's a great aspect. Um, I think perhaps last year she was there was a lot of media hype about wanting to be the fastest bowler in women's cricket, mm. and perhaps sometimes you know it got to her maybe a little bit. And I think she just needs to forget about that because I think that will come in time anyway. She she is quick, yeah. um, but but as she improves and matures as a cricketer, I mean she's only nineteen, twenty, I think. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, as she improves as a cricketer, um, that pace will come through as well. So an incredibly exciting prospect, which I think we all knew about. Um, but good to see now that her game is improving. She's getting more control. Um, Maybe a bit fortunate with a hat trick with with a few tosses <laughs> in there. But hey, you 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 work for that, luck, don't you? Yeah, and you deserve that luck. But you know, fifteen wickets across across that competition with an economy of about six and a half was, was excellent. Very good on 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 a big stage as well. That's so crazy. hoping that she'll come through this year in the Ashes. You know, I, I think she's. A multi-format player. There's no reason why she can't play all game, all, all formats. Um, so I'm really looking forward to see what she can uh, throw at the Aussies this year. Yeah. Well, you can just imagine the confidence she's going to take into that series now. Yeah. It's just yeah. going to be phenomenal. Yeah, very, very much so. And and it's quite exciting now. We we start the season officially tomorrow, Sunday. Um, yeah. So sorry, no, Saturday. It's Friday today, isn't it? You throw me out this week, Freddie. <laughs> yeah, so the, the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy starts tomorrow, so it's going to be exciting to see uh, how the season progresses. There's some really excited talent on show, English talent on show, a lot of good bowlers as well coming through. So um, we'll see where it all ends up by the end of the season. Who's at the top and who hasn't quite made it? Exactly, exactly. I mean, there was there was a f several youngsters there, weren't there, in terms of like English youngsters that went out to the WPO. They didn't all get games, but you know, you think the experience that players like Sophia Dunkley and Lauren Bell will bring back, yeah. you know, yeah. this year. Yeah, well, Caps Alice Capsy was out there, so again, more experience. Uh, Dunkley was out there. Uh, Lauren Bell um, didn't get a game, unfortunately, but it's just the environment being in that environment uh i'm sure she's learned a lot from that um i'm looking forward to seeing her play for the southern vipers this year i'll be watching her very closely she's got an enormous talent um again so someone's yeah say a little bit about her because i've heard i've heard really positive things about lauren yeah well funny enough i i saw her when she really started first started um at berkshire Lindsay was playing at berkshire and and lauren was 
very young then, probably 14, 15, when she started playing it. But you could see straight away that she had some natural ability in terms of her action. It was very natural. She's very tall anyway. Mm. Um, and as she's mature, she's got stronger. Um, she swings the ball a mile. Um, that that's a major asset. Yeah, 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 I think that that that's that's been a challenge for her to to actually you know get it in the right places because you're never quite sure how far it's going to go. Um, but certainly, you know, an, another bowler that I'd like to see thrown in against the Australians this year with her pace and with her swing, um, just to call, ask some different questions because she gets bounce as well because of her height. Um, you know, and she's only going to improve again. Another youngster, she's only going to improve as she as she matures and gets stronger. Um, but there's high hopes of her as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah it bodes well for this summer. It really does bode well for this summer. Yeah, it does. And there's other girls, you know, Emily Arlott, um, Lauren Filer, Daniel Gibson. You know, all these girls are good, strong bowlers. A um, couple of left arms there as well. So yeah, there, there's, there's a lot. That's why I'm quite, quite encouraged and quite excited to see how the summer pans out, especially from, from, from the bowling perspective. Because I think that's what we need to look at as an England women's team. There's yeah. certainly um, some some depth there in terms of what we can offer as bowlers. Yeah, that's great, and obviously depth brings competition, which mm. what yeah. we, all, we, all, we all crave for. Yeah. Now, obviously, recently the hundred draft as well. So obviously, this year's hundred. Yeah. Uh, thoughts on on that draft, Lindsay? Happy? Uh, Lindsay was happy because fortunately she didn't have to go into the draft. She was retained. Retained, yeah. By Northern Superchargers. Um, and so she she was settled by by Christmas last year. That was all all settled. And so I think she was very relieved. I think everybody was retained, probably was relieved. But being the first year of the draft, there was probably a bit of uncertainty as to how it would pan out. Um, a number of the girls, actually, funny enough, a number of the younger girls, if you like, um, didn't bother going into the draft because I I, I think they they'd already sort of tied up deals with their franchises ahead of the draft to say, well, don't worry. We, we want you and had they gone into the draft they might have ended up somewhere where the oh, really would be. I love that. yeah which which makes sense and i think those names will come through now i think they open it up again um in the next month or so where the where the other players will get picked up now but obviously a lot of them already know where they're going but it's just not been official as it were <laughs> um yeah so it was the uncertainty really as to, as to a where you're going to end up b how much are you going to get so, again, from Lindsay's perspective, yeah, it's great to know exactly what her deal was, exactly who she was playing for without having to worry about where she might go or, or whether she might not get picked up at all. So that's always the the jeopardy of these drafts. Well, um, she, didn't have the, uh, she didn't have the shock that Kate Cross clearly had. <laughs> she didn't. No, that was quite... That was probably one of the biggest turn-ups, actually, if not the <laughs> biggest turn-up, moving across the Pennines. So... As a Northern Supercharger fan, I think that's fantastic. I mean, we couldn't have asked for much more. Um, it's just what, what the team needs, I think, is someone like Kate Cross, tremendous player, tremendous bowler, tremendous person. So, yeah, that, that, that's that's going to be interesting when uh, when they play the Lancashire Thunder or Lightning or whoever they are. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. And, what's, and talking to Lindsay, what's her kind of goals, ambitions for this season? Ah, just, just just to do well at a new club again. I mean, obviously, she was at Vipers um, a few years back now uh, as a youngster. So to go back there, I think she's very excited about working with Lottie again. Uh, she's always gotten very well with her. Um, I think she just wants to do well for the team in all competitions. Um, her game's in, a, I would like to think, a pretty good place at the moment. Um, but you can never tell. When you get out in the middle, it'll all start tomorrow. So I we'll can say first game tomorrow. Wait, so who's she got tomorrow? they got Sunrisers tomorrow. Nice. Um, playing up against, uh, again, another excellent youngster from a batting point of view, Grace Scrivens, who's uh, scored three consecutive hundreds now in warm-up games. She oh. led the England Under-19 uh, World Cup side and did very well out there. She's hit the ground running so far in, in, in the warm-up. So we've got, got to face her tomorrow. So hopefully, uh, dare I say, her luck might run out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers but crossed. Oh, she's a good player, you know. If it doesn't, then she gets another ton fair play to her, you know. Right, a couple <laughs> of final questions for you, Gunnar. Oh shit! Which have come in from supporters. So, who was the hardest bowler that you umpired? In terms of you know either picking up line or you know bowling too close to the stumps, way move the ball. But who is the hardest 
bowler that you found you uh, you had to umpire to? When I saw this the other day, I couldn't stop giggling. There's only one, well, there's two, but one freaked me. And it freaked every umpire as soon as he took his sweater off. There's a lad from Pakistan called Syed Ajmal. Yeah. Now, this bloke could bowl close to the stumps, mid with the mid of the crease, 60% into the crease, or almost outside the crease with the same action. He used to freak us out. And I'm not on my own. I remember standing in the field of play with Richard Kettleborough when they announced on the tannoy, side Asmal. Well, both of us started twitching. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was my end. It was my end. And you always say to side, I think, mate, you've got the wrong end. You've got the wrong end here. <laughs> I'm telling you, I think it spins more from that end. Look at the footmarks. <laughs> I'll tell you, I did a game in uh, in Gaul, and I think I've mentioned this last podcast. Gaul was the hardest place I've ever umpired in my life. And it was uh, Sri Lanka versus Pakistan. And they were warming up, and both Syed Ajmal and Maituroon Mularithran got injured in the warm-up. I walked back to the changing room. <laughs> and I've never ever said thank you to my mate upstairs. How did you injure them, Gunnar? How did you how huh? did you injure them? What did you do to them? I stood on both of them's fingers. <laughs> that was one of the greatest things. But Syed Edmel was a very, very high skilled bowler. But his feet were everywhere. So, you know, in the old days where you had to look at the front foot, suddenly you see his front foot in front of you, and the next ball, he's disappeared over it to the left. And you go, <laughs> where was he? Was that a no ball? Whatever. But he was difficult. The other one, Mitchell Johnson, who oh, bowled yeah. the speed of light. I mean, speed of light. But he didn't know where it was going. Now, if he didn't know where it was going, <laughs> I had no chance of knowing where it was going. But I always seem to have umpired Mitchell Johnson in India. Now, you don't want to get nicked for giving Sachin Tendulkar LBW pitching outside leg stump by this slingy mate. He was a... Yeah, those two were the most difficult ever, ever. You get the normal practitioners like Jimmy Anderson. You see the ball come out there and you see everything. You see their front foot. These two guys, you had no idea. You had no idea. And it was night before games, you were like lying in bed going, <laughs> is that pitched in line? Is that going to be in pitching line? Because Mitchell could get his arm high or get his arm very low. And that was it. That's the difference between pitching on, outside. Oh, my God. Sleepless. Tell you what, he was as quick as, as anyone would ever, ever ever face Mitchell Johnson frightened me and I was umpiring we did a game I just finished this off because I was talking to a friend of mine today Matt Machen do you remember Matt who played for Sussex and a young lad he played for Scotland so in the World Cup Australia played Scotland at uh, Hobart and it started drizzling and this wicket at Hobart was rock hard and I said to Matt Machin, I said, he was standing at the bowl at my end, the bowler's in. I said, Matt, I'll tell you what mum and dad, do you love them? <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me and he went, I said, if you get that end, I think you're dead. <laughs> he got run out. He got run out next ball. <laughs> he took a suicidal single and got run out by three inches. As he landed, as he crash landed, he said, Gunner, please get me out. Uh, <laughs> All right, dear. final question. What's the best on-field sledge that you've had, which you just thought, you know, you just couldn't stop laughing at it? Let me tell you one thing. You boys go on tour regular. What goes on tour, goes on tour. <laughs> Is that fact or fiction? It's well, apart from my eating habits, it's pretty fat. Right. Okay, I'll give you one. It's page 192 of my book. 
Dale Stone, read it. (laughs) (laughs) Can Can I ask you a question, Gunner? So as an ex-keeper myself, obviously not to your standard, was who was your favourite um, bowler to, to keep wicket to? Did you the one that bowled the fastest. Who was that? Wayne Daniel. Wayne Daniel. Yeah, luckily, right. the bonus I had with Wayne Daniel was he bowled a speed of light, bowled everyone out, but the other occasion he fired it all over the place. Yeah. We had a deal at Middlesex with Sketchley's. And you're old enough to remember Sketchley's are dry cleaners. Never heard of them. My clothes were covered in mud and crap diving around <laughs> Wayne. But he bought my first flat, my first car. He was a genius. Uh, but, mate, he was, he was terrifyingly quick. Don't worry he, about... He only played six tests, Wayne. Yeah. But bearing in mind that Mikey... Uh, uh, who else was it? Michael. And Andy Roberts. Joe Garner. Yeah, most of them hit me on the head. And, um, <laughs> but Wayne bowled the speed of light, but he bowled the ball so hard, it was scary. Scary, scary quick. But he couldn't get in the test team. Amazing, wasn't it? Well, Sylvester, Sylvester Clark didn't get in their test team either, did he? No. And like, he was supposed to be lethal as well. Yeah, amazing. You know, they could have had about 12 fast bowlers at that stage, couldn't they, in the 70s and 80s? Unbelievable. To be honest with you, Simon, they kept you awake at night. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Or you went out <laughs> them at night trying to get as pissed as they could. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. Um, really appreciate it, as always. And thank you very much to everyone who has uh, downloaded and um, looking forward to, to speaking to you all again next month.